Welcome to All Power to the Developing, a podcast of the Eastside Institute. I'm Lois Holzman, co-founder and director of the Institute, and I want to tell you where our title comes from. The Institute is a center for social change efforts that reinitiate human and community development. We support, connect, and partner with committed and creative activists, scholars, artists, helpers, and healers all over the world. Way back in 2003, Institute co-founder, the late Fred Newman and I, had a paper published with the title, All Power to the Developing. This phrase captures how vital it is for all people to grow, develop, and transform emotionally, socially, and intellectually, if we are to have a shot at creating something positive out of the intense crises we're all experiencing. Our hope is that this podcast series will show you that far from a slogan, all power to the developing is a loving activity, a pulsing heart in an all too cruel world. everybody. Welcome to um, the Eastside Institute's podcast, All Power to Developing. I'm Carrie Lobman. I am the leader of education and research at the Eastside Institute, as well as being in the chair of Department of Learning and Teaching at the Graduate School of Education at Rutgers University. Um, and I am thrilled today to have as my guest, Ken Danford. Um, before, before we start talking, let me tell you a little bit about Ken. Ken is the executive director and co-founder of North Star, an alternative to schooling for teens and their families. And we'll say a lot more about what that means in a moment, um, including perhaps why my description of it is probably completely inadequate, I would say. Ken has worked with teens and their families for almost three decades. He began his career as a middle school social studies teacher, first in Prince George's County, Maryland, and then in Amherst, Massachusetts. In 1996, Ken left the Amherst school system to found North Star. Um, he brought with him an extensive education and training, including a BA from Amherst College in psychology and a master's in teaching and social studies from Brown University. Ken is the author of the book, Learning is Natural, School is Optional. Um, and Ken and I have been in conversation for, I'd say, I don't know, a year and a half, a couple of years now. Um, and among the many things I have come to admire about him is that he is a creator, an innovator, and a builder, and not a critic. And in my opinion, that is sorely needed in the field of education. So I'm very excited to um, be in conversation with him and introduce him to you. Hi, Ken. Hi, Carrie. Thank you for having me. That's very sweet. I'm very glad. So welcome. Um, if it's okay with you, we'll just jump right into our conversation. Um, sure. So in your book, Learning is Natural, School is Optional, you say, North Star is not a school by any means. Legally, it's not a school. Organizationally, it's not a school. And spiritually, it's not a school. So what is it? North Star is a program. It's a community center. It's a club that supports teenagers to live and learn and grow without attending school. So legally, we coach young people under age 16 in Massachusetts to file homeschooling papers so they can be independent of school. And then they're able to spend as much time as they wish with us or wherever else they wish to be 
and we're here to support people to construct their best lives. So legally, we're not a school. Enrolling your child in Northstar has nothing to do with fulfilling compulsory schooling obligations. Organizationally, we're not a school. We don't make sure kids learn English, math, history, science. We offer such things among the many things that we offer. One could learn uh, academic things here. Many of our students are quite academically inclined and focused, but we're not organizationally a school. And certainly spiritually, uh, we're not a school. I love telling people you don't need a high school diploma to go to university. You certainly don't need a high school diploma to get a job or to start a business. And so high school diplomas aren't worth the paper they're printed on, just to be obnoxious at the front of your uh, <laughs> podcast here. So, you know, spiritually, we're coaching people to seize their lives and get on with it. And, and uh, you know, I also say, by the way, that when I was in high school, I liked it. I had a good experience in Shaker Heights High School. I wouldn't have left if someone had offered me an alternative. I would have stayed at Shaker Heights High School. My children both have chosen to attend school more or less for the duration, happily so. Some North Star kids come to North Star for seventh or eighth grade and choose to go to high school after mm -hmm. a year or two out of school. And many North Star teens have brothers and sisters who still choose to attend school. So I'm not anti-high school. I just want people to choose to go to high school and feel free to choose not to go to high school. Right. And, and can you say, I mean, I, I, that, that's, as I said at the beginning, that's one of the things I think that as we've gotten to know each other, I've really appreciated is that you're both extremely radical, as am I, in your um, belief that school is not, certainly not the only route to a um, successful and adulthood. Um, so you're, you're fairly outspoken about that, but you're also clear that what you're doing is not the only route either and I and I just really appreciate that openness um can you can you share and I think it actually builds off of the last thing you said can you share given all that how come you came to found North Star and to be helping parents and children find alternatives to school so one way to say that is um why do we need an alternative like North Star why are schools not enough given we've invested in them for centuries to be succinct, most kids don't want to be in school. Even the kids who are getting A's without much stress and have friends at school, they cheer for snow days and they look forward to the summer to have their time for themselves. Everybody values things they do outside of school more than they do school, it seems to me. Most kids take most of their schoolwork at the end of a semester or the end of the year and throw it away. Very little output of school is saved. As a school teacher teaching US history, I was teaching revisionist, Howard Zinn, political activist history, right? Causing a stress and bother to some people in my orbit. But I figure once in their lives, these kids can listen to me talk about change and resistance and social justice and whatnot. Um, but then I would have to tell them to sit down, shut up, and you know you can't go to the bathroom and you better do what I say or I'll give you a detention and an F, so shut up, right? And it was a total power inequity, mm -hmm. and I was supposed to make them believe that if they didn't do school well and conform, that they would be doomed to a bad life. That was just way too much cognitive, cognitive dissonance, especially when it just isn't true. I, mean, I don't believe it, right? Loads of people do poorly in school and turn out fine. Loads of people especially do poorly or get Fs on, in eighth grade, and it doesn't matter a wit, and we shouldn't pretend that it does. Look, there's lots of interesting things 
that one might learn in school with good teachers in a good positive environment. School at its finest can be excellent. Of course it can be. But let's not pretend that most people are achieving that most of the time because that's really not the reality. People love summer camp. People love after school programs. People sometimes love their youth groups over the weekends. Uh, people have lots of things that they do in life. But most people, it turns out, don't love school. Why not? We know how to make things that people love. Why don't we make school the kind of thing that people love? And if we're not going to do that, I don't want to work in one. So one of the, I mean, I, I, that's part of what I'm saying I love is that passion. And, and I think that, you know, one of the things that I hear in that, and certainly I, I've experienced about school, and I am a lifelong educator as well. I, you know, began teaching in kindergartens when I was 22 years old. Um, I have stayed, if you will, in some ways in the institution of schooling. I now teach teachers. Um, and my relationship to the Institute has in no small part been in a recognition that the school system as it's currently set up and particularly it's, um, it's lack of choice. In fact, not only choice within the system, I mean choice of whether that's what you want to do is part of what makes it um, very difficult to challenge that power structure that you're talking about. And so in, at the university, I spend a lot of time helping students unlearn the passivity that comes with going through 12 years of schooling where you have to be there um, to create a different relationship with learning. Um, so I was, I was in thinking about that, I was thinking, what does that look like? What have you seen for young people who choose to um, join you? in this different kind of experience? Do they stop learning, right? One could say, okay, fine, they have fun, but do they stop learning? What, what is it that learning turns well, into or looks like? Well, you know, you and I define learning as something that is not stoppable. People are right. always learning. They're not always learning academic, schooly-like things. People are not always writing book reports. I still read lots of books, but don't write book reports about them, mm -hmm. right? You know, I watch lots of documentaries and don't write summaries or essays about them. So sure, loads of kids, but people are learning all the time. You know, mm -hmm. learning is not a stoppable exercise. That's what people do. That's, you know, as I say, learning is natural. Um, so the, what happens, especially when we're talking about 12 to 15 to 16 year olds, um, you know, it's just a lot of openness. It's a lot of uncertainty is a lot of experimentation. I would say that is probably not unlike what happens to a lot of adults when they retire. What are, what are adults do when they retire? How do they fill their days if they're used to going to work eight hours a day, 40 hours a week, and now suddenly they have a pension and they don't have to go anymore, right? They retired. Uh, do, they, do they wake up? Do they go out? Do they play cards? Do they play sports? Do they go for a walk? What do they do, right? If they don't have to do anything, right? And you have to construct a life weekly routine or some kind of kind of event in your life. So, you know, we asked 12 to 16 year olds to 18 year olds, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? Who do you want to be with? What do you want to get better at? What makes you curious? And how can you build a life around that? Would you mm -hmm. like to come to North Star? We have this center, this clubhouse, this place where you can go, not during COVID, but on, it's online during COVID. So you could log into a bunch of interesting classes and things. 
we have tutors and the advisories and all the kinds of things that we do at Northstar still online. But in general, in real life time, not COVID times, you could come to Northstar three, four days a week or less. You could volunteer, you could have a job, you could go to a community college class, you could do all kinds of things, right? So everybody's different. Some people have different needs. Some kids are getting out of school and they, all they wanna do is write the novel that's been inside of them all the time. They never had a chance to write before. Some of them have a mountain of books they need to read or a mountain of highly advanced math they really wanted to learn or struggle with or explore that they've never had a chance to actually do. Um, and other kids aren't going to do anything academic. They're going to go skateboard. They're going to go play video games. They're going to go uh, spend the time at the horse farm. Mm -hmm. I don't know what they're going to do. Mm -hmm. And people do what they need to be doing. And, you know, it needs to be in conjunction with one's parents. I'm not suggesting that it's okay for parents to neglect their children or encourage their children to become spoiled brats um who can just you know be dilettantes and you know are too good to be told what to do that's not really you know people people can grow with some limits and boundaries and needs of their parents and mm -hmm. family obligations those are reasonable things and if a parent wants their kid to read a book a week or something like that you know that's up for discussion but one does not need to start with all the school-like content and curriculum that people think you have to do. And letting go of that is huge. Mm. You don't have to spend all your day, six hours a day doing English, math, history, science, and those subdivisions mm -hmm. that way. Just take that whole construct and rip it up and crumple it up and burn it, right? And then reconstruct with a fresh moment all the things that you might do in a week. Start with your strengths, start with your favorite things first, and then contemplate the weaknesses that maybe you want to get better at that might be helpful, that mm -hmm. might bite you down the road that, you know, in a free world, you might want to uh, delve into just to like cover your butt a little bit. All right, deal with your weaknesses when you want to, but go have fun first, go, go make some hay, go do something first. <laughs> it sounds um, delightful in so many ways. And, um, and I know from my own experience, not unchallenging to be given that kind of freedom if that's not, if that's not how you've lived your life up until that point. Um, so, you know, as you know, the work, my work at the Institute and ours has always been on, on, has been on development. And what we mean by development is often very different than what other people mean. We're not talking about kind of the set of stages that babies go through on their way to becoming preschoolers. And we're talking about the activity of groupings of people creating environments, opportunities to not only be who they are, but who they are becoming, right? And we've talked a little mm -hmm. bit about that right. understanding. Um, the other phrase that comes to mind is what our director calls, Lois Holtzman calls not knowing growing. And when I hear you describing this, I think, I think of it as developmental. But what is that? Does that is does what happens at North Star seem developmental to you in that way? And if so, how? Yes, a hundred percent. I mean, and and it's really contrasts how I felt about teaching in schools, and to some extent how I felt about my own schooling experience. Though again, my own schooling experience was reasonably positive. I was good at school. I got a lot of uh, brownie points and respect for doing school mm -hmm. well. So I had a lot of trust and freedom in the building. So I probably developed quite a bit in school uh, as a teen quite well. Um, but I don't think a lot of kids do that. I, you know, um, but I did. Um, so, but what happens at North Star is we ask kids to consider 
what do they really want to learn? Mm -hmm. How do you really want to learn? How much time do you want to spend on that? Are you done yet? How are your parents doing with, with your choices? And if, if you're stuck and you can't figure it out and you're just not doing anything, how about trying this, that, or the other first? Just to, you know, come to North Star two days a week. They'll come hang sit with us. Mm. Come, uh, come to my class just to see what it's about then if you got nothing else to do, right? Or come play checkers with the other kid. I don't care. But, you know, do something, maybe get out of your room, you know, go, go volunteer at the old folks home or something like, I don't know. Let's, let's think of something to start with besides, uh, you know, all video games all day or all depression, you know, or all anxiety and stress um, and giving kids space, not demanding it, accepting no for an answer, not having credit hang on the balance, not having a GPA and grades on the balance. So it's just like, whether you want to do it or not, this, there are some things one might do. This is what other people do. This is what humans do in your phase of life. You're a teenager for gosh sakes. All right, let's see if we can figure something out for you. Mm -hmm. You know, and the goal isn't to get it all straight this week or this month. The goal is, you know, next two or three or four years. Let's see if we can't help you identify the things that make you most gratified, that make you feel the most alive, that make you so excited that it's Sunday night because you got a whole new week coming up. How do we get to there, right? Mm -hmm. And that might be unimaginable at first. Yeah. And so getting from wherever we start with kids to that is development. It has to be, uh -huh. right? Uh-huh. Well, partly because you're inviting them and to participate in it with you. That's, right. that's part of I mean, what I see. Right. I mean, some of the kids come to North Star reasonably healthy. They're school kids who are just bored. They're going to school every day and they're getting good grades and they're functioning. And they just, they just when they hear that there's some other way to go, they're all for it and they're gung-ho and they want out, right? But a lot of the kids are coming with anxiety or depression or, or refusal or anger, right? So, you know, in the developmental lingo, you know, the metaphor is like taking the plant that isn't doing well and repotting it and giving it the proper amount of shade, light, water that's appropriate for it and, uh, and giving it some time, yeah. right? And no matter how much you water it or how much light you give it, it still might take a few weeks or months, you know, for the plant to awesome right you know you just don't say well i did it check now you it's your right. turn blossom already where's the bud we've got we've got four months till the first report card you know I'm so <laughs> so yes i think the developmental language is very appropriate for what we're mm -hmm. after and you know not to beat up school too much but that's just it's really just not school's job right that's not really what schools are about schools are you know it's a whole different thing that that schools are about. And I don't really want to. There's been enough books written about what schools are for. Yeah. That, um, I don't need to be. You know, if you want me to get clear on that, I can. But it, you know, I just don't think that's what schools are are um, tasked mm -hmm. with in our culture, despite what we yeah. may say sometimes. Yeah. You know, I listen to you, and I think about you, and and perhaps the other adults. I haven't met the other adults that you work with. But what what's that experience been like for you? to go from, you know, you described so eloquently at the beginning that experience of the authoritarian nature of teaching. Um, but on the other hand, you have in that the built-in authority. What's it been like and what's it produced in your relationships with young people to not have that to fall back on, if you will, or to choose not to? Um, I love 
the you know I created North Star for me. <laughs> you know I want to do good in the world. I want to make a difference for other people. But you know in the plane they tell you to put your own face mask on first before you help the kid next to you. And North Star clearly was me putting on my own face mask mm -hmm. first, right? I need to put myself in a position where I'm not judging myself on whether I can inspire you to read the textbook and write an interesting essay in response. Mm -hmm. If I can get you to do eighth grade US history with some, I'm supposed to inspire you to want to do this stuff. And if I fail and you don't decide to try very hard, that's my fault and my self-worth is called into question. I can't, you know, no matter how creative a lesson plan I made or about how, how much I tried or worked or spent all night thinking about you, you didn't feel like doing it. You didn't do it. And you got a D or an F for us. You, you know, I, I, we didn't connect or that wasn't the moment for you. Even if we did connect, it just wasn't the moment for you. Right. Um, and therefore, I, I can't have my self-worth dependent, whether it's my own judgment of it or whether it's the external school's, you know, supervisor's judgment of how I do as a teacher dependent on what everybody else chooses to do for their output. It's just not, I can't, I can't live that way. Yeah. And so to, to, to create a workspace for myself with other people where I promise to make possible, North Star has these guiding principles and one of them that really speaks to me is that North Star makes possible, but it doesn't make sure. Right. I'm not going to make sure anybody learns anything, but I will make possible anybody to learn anything. And it, not just something from not necessarily from me. I mean, from tutors or other people or other right. not even from North Star, maybe from other places in the world. Right. But obviously we can, you know, in some gigantic sense, help anybody learn in whatever they want somehow. Right. Um, in some theory. So, you know, we can what I want to do is create the, the structure that allows the time, space, flexibility, freedom for people to learn whatever they want with whomever they want, wherever they want. And if I can do that, and then with some degree of uh, expertise or ability, you know, coach people through that or, or make the phone calls for them or do the research for them to, with them to help them find the, those things or experiment. And then when they try one and they don't like it, they want to flip and go to something else or a different way, not to take it personally. And, you know, oh, I was trying so hard to set that up and now you don't like it, whatever, right? Yeah. So I have created a situation a learning environment where my ego isn't on the line for every last thing, where my, my self-judgment mm -hmm. isn't on the line. My self-judgment, you know, is, am I helping this person live their life better? And if I'm not, you know what happens? They leave North Star and they go back to school right. or a different school than the one they left. You know what? And that happens any, you know, 20, 25% of the time at North Star, some number of kids coming for a year or two and go back to school. Sometimes that's been the ordained before they ever joined North Star. They always knew they wanted, no matter how good North Star was, they were going to go skip middle school and go to high school. So it's not even, you know, it's not my ego. Um, and even when they did come to North Star for two years, and then it's just not quite the right fit. They, they're more social. They want to be more mainstream. They're just, they just, you know, yeah. in the wrong place. Um, and they choose to go to a high school after North Star. Um, you know what? They still love me. I talk to those kids. I know them and their parents, and they're very grateful for the time they had out of school. And so I'm no longer worried what grade everybody, I, I have to give them a grade, whether they like it or, you know, it's just, it's just um, a different way that suits me. Mm. I love that. I was thinking for the kids to come and go back. I wonder if my, my, my speculation is that 
they can't possibly go back to the same thing because if you've experienced that you don't have to be there, going back as a choice would be a very different experience. I think so. I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, very few go back to junior high. So what happens is kids right. will come here for the seventh or eighth grade, and then they'll go back to school for ninth grade, either at a high school that's the same public school they were leaving from, or they go to a charter school they get accepted to, or a private school or a Catholic school. You know, they go to a different school than the one they left usually. Rarely does a kid come in for seventh grade and then go to eighth grade back in the same middle school. Uh-huh. And if that happens, and we've had, you know, there's times we have very little impact. The kid was having a tough fall. The parents unenrolled him from school and homeschool and North Star for six months. Kid didn't really come here very much. And it, we're a blip on their life trajectory. And they're back in school six months later because they just, you know, begged their parents to go back to school. You know, it, it, it can happen. But again, that's not my ego then. It's not my failure. That's just like, so I offered this kid a different thing. They said, no, thank you. I support them to go back to the thing they prefer. I help their parents and them scheme. You know, you're sure this is what you want. You've thought it through. You've talked to the authorities. You got the, the re-entry planned. Everybody's mutually good. All right. Well, sorry, we're not the thing for you. Go on, carry on. Right. I mean, I do that in my personal life. Yeah. I make, I don't stay with every, you know, I just withdrew from the YMCA because I don't need that gym anymore. I'm going to do something else. Like you can't join everything. Everybody can't be everywhere. It's really okay that people don't want North Star, yeah. please. Yeah. And so. I, yeah, I think the, okay. bigger, the bigger thing you're saying is it's also okay if they don't want school. Right. But in school, you can't say that. Right. I could not say if you don't want to be in my eighth grade class, fine, go hang out in the library. Right. Skip my class. Go sit in the men, go in the go to the boys' room and just you know here's yeah. your pass for the day. You know go hang on the bathroom during my class and I, I give you an F but sorry but uh, you don't have, you can't say that you can't tell kids it's okay not to want to come to my class and or you can come to my class and not try and just take your D or F and I won't hassle you and you don't hassle me and you know mutually we're good. I'm supposed to make that kid be in my room and want to try right yeah. and no. if I don't do that I am a colossal failure right. Yeah. And um, that that's a burnout way, you know, that's just not. Um, no, I, I think it's, it's an eloquent way of describing the assumptions behind schooling and the problems of those assumptions. We are gonna take a short break and then we'll be back and we'll chat some more. Okay, thank you. Hi. I'm Melissa Meyer, Associate Director of the Eastside Institute. Welcome to All Power to the Developing. I hope you're enjoying today's conversation. In each episode, we introduce you to some amazing performance activists, play revolutionaries, and developmentalists from around the world who talk to us about their creative grassroots efforts to build a better world. If you like what you hear, please follow and share the series. You can find us on Amazon, Spotify, and Podbean. We'd love to hear your comments and ideas. Like everything at the Institute, the growth of all power to the developing depends upon the people who create it and benefit from it. We hope you're one of them. Thanks for your support. And now back to our conversation. Let me, um, let me ask you just, you know, I, I do think that much of what you're describing, it's both so easy to picture because we've all had experiences where we were free to make choices about what we wanted to do and not do, they, 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 more or less in different moments in our lives. So we can sort of imagine that. 
And on the other hand, given the assumption that school is what young people are supposed to do and that it's supposed to look within a range a particular way, um, I think it's hard to imagine. So you're sitting at North Star right now. Tell us a little bit about what it looks like, both physically, but also sort of what it looks like for kids. Sure. I'm in a building that um, is on a main road in Sunderland, Mass, in the shadow of University of Massachusetts, Amherst, Northampton area. Um, there's a bus stop right out front. Kids can come and go. Our building is a standalone building, two stories, yellow clapper. It even has a little um, cupola school like clock tower thing on it that lights up um 30 feet by 80 feet you know rectangular two-story thing um and so it's a building where people can come it's a community center club place right and on the first floor half of the first floor is one giant open room where staff have some desks and it's the common room where people can hang out and be social and eat their food and have their uh, computers and phones and books and things. You know, people are hanging out there and there's a lot of chit chat. There's a one silent room, a library, loads of nice couches and chairs and books. Just, But it's a silent room for people who mm -hmm. want a silent space. There's a kitchen, which is a great thing to have so that we can have some food classes, but also where kids can just go and cook things anytime they want for themselves and their lunchroom or whatever. I mean, people are eating here all day from beginning to end. Um, and then there's a little bit of space that's where my, I'm sitting right now, my office and a meeting room table area, you know, copier, things of that nature. And then upstairs, there's one large room that is a wood floor studio for like dance, theater, music, yoga kinds of things, you know, about 600 square feet. And then there's a series of smaller rooms, two of which might be 200 square feet a piece. Classroom rooms, one's now a, a science-y lab room. We put we knocked on a wall and we put in a sink because there's a lab maker room. Another is just a room that we could put 10 people, have a circular group conversation. And then there's a series of smaller offices for one-on-one -on -one meetings and tutorials, things of that nature upstairs. Um, and do young people meet with adults every day, every week? So we have a calendar of classes that, you know, maybe six to 10 a day that are once a week classes your theater, your book groups, writing groups, psychology, history, current events, race relations, cooking, you know, all kinds of things that happen here. Uh, people, they're all optional, not graded, not for credit. Kids can do two or 12 or zero or six of them. Um, we also offer kids one-on-one -on -one tutorials for the math or the Spanish the piano lesson or, or botany or whatever it is they wanna learn one-on-one. -on -one. And so we have some UMass students who are here doing that kind of stuff along with the regular staff and other volunteers and parents and nice people and alums who come in and do one-on-one -on -one tutorials as well. And every teen has an advisor here they meet with once a week who sits with them and asks them, how's it going at North Star? What are you doing? Which days do you go? What classes and tutors do you have? When you're not at North Star, when you're at home, what are you doing? What kind of books are you reading or projects do you have or the music or what are you up to? And out in the world, you know, did, did you apply for that job? How is the job? What about the driving and the, and the permit? What about, you know, trying a college class? What about your sports and your other clubs and your church? And what else do you do? How is life going? And is this all really better than school? And do you want to keep doing this? And, and if so, you know, in two or three years, you know, do you have a vision for how this is going to go? And, you know, are you a college kid eventually? Are you going to start with community college during this or later or? And if you're not college, <coughs> you know, um, you know, what are that you want to travel? You want to work? You want to volunteer? You want to start your own business? What, what, what are we going here? 
And, you know, not on every week. We're not asking everybody to reassess their life plans every week, for gosh sakes. But, you know, um, those kinds of relationships are what we're doing in these advisories. So once a week, you know, the, the, the teen is invited to sit with a staff member. They're having a standing appointment, right? So you have your appointment. We have a once a week community meeting where we all get together for 45 minutes and talk about either the dishes or coexisting in this building, or else we just play games and name games and who's who and what's what. Or we talk about, you know, what's your New Year's resolution or whatever group building thing we might do in that scene. So there's a once one time a week group community meeting. There's weekly one-on-one advisories. There's, a, you know, a, a list of classes that are meeting scheduled. And there's a, uh, a whole set of one-on-one tutorials that are privately scheduled. So, you know, imagine a senior center. Yeah. It's not that hard. A YMCA, yeah. right? You know, we know the model. You guys know the model. You just don't think of it for kids in school. You think of it for adults and fun. Right. But, you know, it's not that hard. Yeah. And do kids ever organize their own classes? Do they ever Sure, loads of times. Yeah. All the time. So that's one of the most... Loads when I think about development, I think about that as well. The self-organizing aspect of how do we had I... had a very popular one in mythology last year. One of the kids was super into mythology and wanted to tell everybody everything they knew. And they were a pretty popular, charismatic kid. So they, they just talked everybody into coming. And it became one of the most popular classes oh, at North Star. That's great. That's great. <laughs> um, I'm going to come. Yeah. So um, one of the things you and I have talked about is that, you know, in general young people of privilege, young people from more affluent means, um, mostly white, though not exclusively, often have more access, not only to the kinds of innovations you're describing, but also to the kinds of activities you're describing, right? Their parents pay for them to have music lessons and dance lessons. And that's been a big mission of the um, All-Stars Project that I'm on the board of is to to make sure that um, young people growing up in poor communities have access to those kinds of developmental mm-hmm. experiences. But what do you, what do you, what, how do you grapple with that? Um, at least my assumption is that who's making use of this are young people who already have a fair amount of privilege. Um, and, and do you think this is, yeah. How do, yeah. You, how do you deal with that? Yeah, that's a, that's an important question. Totally accurate. I mean, to me, the equity issue here is about options. And that, well, you know, that schools have failed poor kids and kids of color way, way higher proportions than affluent kids. And yet for the very, some of the reasons you say and others, um, the options available to people, both actual options and a culture of options is not available. And I think that's very that that is a huge equity issue. But there is some irony that up here where I live, I can tell you having worked in Amherst, that some of the kids I think who most need to get out of the public school system because of racism, because of racist curriculum, right. or because of prejudgment and disciplinary injustice and the whole thing are the um, African-American kids, are the Puerto Rican kids, yeah. right? But the irony is they're the least likely to do so. Yeah. They just see us as a white program. Maybe they don't want to ask uh, well, some of them don't need scholarships. Some of them are perfectly fine economically. Right? It's not all about money. It's, it's, it's partly about money, but it's not only about money. And so you got to separate that. Race and money don't go together here necessarily, right? But um, nevertheless, this, well, look, 
if I if, if you had some miserable African American 16 year old kid in Amherst or Northampton High School, and they opt out and they hang out at North Star for a year, and they're one of a few number of kids of color here, and then they go to Holyoke Community College and Greenfield Community College for a year during 11th and 12th grade and get a good number of credits done. And then they apply to UMass or to four-year schools like Amherst College and Hampshire College or wherever else they wanna go in the United States that our alumni go to. They'll get in, I think. And I don't think that being African-American or Puerto Rican is a, makes it less likely for this to work for you. If you're gonna to go to the community college after high school, you might as well get out of high school and go to community college instead of high school. It seems like a good idea intellectually, right? Yeah. Like, so. But, but selling it, yeah. that's not, first of all, I don't sell it to anybody. I, you know, I want to like- Are you working on this? I've heard, you told me, I thought you shared with me that there's some work you're doing on creating a-, a Yeah, I, well, I'm, I'm involved in creating a new program called Another Way. I think the website will be Another Way Learning, another, another Learning Another Way, I think. Um, but it's going to be for teachers and adults who are somewhat disillusioned with the system and yeah. want to learn about <clears throat> unschooling, homeschooling, um, democratic free schools, Sudbury, agile learning centers, and get a, you know, there's, there's several of us who are creating self-directed learning models where yeah. kids are allowed to say, no, thank you, where, where there's not coercion, where there's not credits, where many of the programs are technically not schools. Some of them are technically schools, they're private schools, and some are not. And there's a, there's a whole swath of these programs, say yeah. in Brooklyn and Manhattan and around. But it's a little confusing. There's a lot of jargon. Yeah. And the history is confusing. And so we're talking about running a course for maybe disillusioned teachers, whether they're young people just coming into the profession or whether they're older people who want to get out of the profession. But they don't, the self directed education community, um, it just, it can get, the, the web can get a little tangled. And so we're talking about making a course. And I'm doing this with, uh, the team, the founding team is four of us at the moment, uh, two of whom are African-American. And, you know, the idea is, is like, if we really want a program with content and outreach and mentoring that is appealing to loads of people. Because if we, we would like young educators who are uh, African-American, Puerto Rican to find themselves interested and welcome to pursue this world too. And often they feel unwelcome or not included. Yeah. And I mean, so this, this outreach project is, is intentionally um, meant to be, you know, from its inception to be more uh, inclusive than, you know, I mean, it's not that I'm, when I just do things with the people I know my own way, uh, you get what you know, it happens, right? And the people I know are now at this stage of my life in, Am in Massachusetts are mostly white. And so, if we just create, you know, if we don't do it deliberately, you get the same results, right? And I would create a program that would be appealing to some white kids and not very many uh, young people of color. And so the goal of this new program is to is to bridge that, to be better than that, to not repeat the mistakes and, you know, yeah. see if we can do better. I mean, I just, uh, we're gonna need to stop in a moment, but I think that, um, you know, one of the things I hear in this whole last part of the conversation, but really in all of your work, is, and it has been a foundational part of the work of the Institute and of the All-Stars Project, as you mentioned, is that if you just critique what schools are doing, you don't create a way out for the people who are suffering in that institution. If you, you have to create some alternatives for people to do something 
else. And in doing that, in creating something that's working, you create a chance of people being able to re rethink what schools are because it's very hard to rethink something that doesn't have any other alternative. There's yeah. no other option. So I just, I think that particularly in poor communities, the fact that there hasn't been other options makes it very hard to win the fights for decent schooling because yes. oh. you're, you're trapped. Yeah, I think I can summarize in one minute. Um, the critiques you don't need me for because they've been made since the 1950s or even before in the 1920s yeah. with progressive, like we know the critiques and criticisms of compulsory education and they've been going on for a century and they still exist because the model is what people want it to be and it's not gonna change. That's why I left the system. So I don't think we need much more critiquing. Yeah. You know, the, the critiques you can read again from 1950s and 20s, let alone modern critiques. Um, and so look, the solution in my opinion already exists. It's already legal in every state. Nobody has to go to school. Anybody can file homeschooling papers tonight and not have to go to school tomorrow. But, but that is an escape hatch that while it's easily accessible, it's not easily understood or easily sustained or used. Yeah. And most people need help to do it. And the specific kind of help most of them need is an in-person local community center with staff, with, with people like me. And it's not that hard to create, but we don't have to change the law we yeah. don't have to do rocket science here. We know how to do after-school programs. We know how to run summer camps. We know how to do weekend programs for kids and retreats. All we have to do is take all of that knowledge and love and offer it during the day and help people file homeschooling programs and offer all of our skills and love during the day as an instead of school program. It's not very hard. We know what to do. It's just, you know, for whatever reason, it seems a little crazy, but it's really simple. We could do it. Well, thank you. I, I, I am inspired by that, and I'm, I'm really glad to be able to get more people. So thank you to Ken Danford. Um, you can find out more about North Star online, and his book is um, Learning is Natural, School is Optional. So thank you, Ken. All righty. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. <laughs>